what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast networks. My name is Alan Jackson, co-director, co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. With me across the table, the other co in that co-director and co-founder, Chris Fry. Chris, how you doing? I am doing well. I am excited to talk, as always, about movies. Specifically, one of the movies on this show was one of my top 10 anticipated movies for 2022. So, And we are definitely going to address, address that level of anticipation. Okay. I'm very curious to ask about this, but what Chris is alluding to is, uh, yes, that we're going to be talking about two movies. We're going to be giving reviews of... Two uh, recent releases, we'll be discussing the film by the Daniels, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, starring Michelle Kwan, or I'm sorry, Michelle Yeoh. Yes. Sorry. A gymnast could have fit in very easily into this episode. <laughs> I can't though, believe I just Or into, this, that, into that movie. Oh my gosh. So. Yes, Michelle Yeoh starring in that film. And then we'll also be reviewing the film Apollo 10 and a Half, which is by director Richard Linklater, a Netflix exclusive movie. Uh, where everything everywhere all at once is gone to movie theater. So we're getting a little bit of a variety of different formats of films for you today. So we'll be reviewing both of those films in a moment. After the reviews, we'll have some news items to share with you. Uh, I think we'll talk a little bit about the Cannes Film Festival, all the assorted films that we'll be showing at that festival. We have a little bit of a trailer tapas, which is our little moment where we like to give a little taste of a trailer for a film and, and, and give our thoughts on what we're seeing and then, Chris, I believe you you said that you're going to be presenting to us a, a – your quote this morning was a crappy idea for a new movie. Yeah, kind of a take. We have a segment that we often do called, this sounds like it could be good. Mm-hmm. This is – ooh, that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, whoa, this, <laughs> so, this does not sound good kind of at all. It's kind of a take, an alternate take on that All segment. right, so we'll talk about what that crappy idea is that you are going to share with us here. Uh, that you've heard about uh, in a little bit. And then at the end of the show, Chris and I both have a recommendation of a film that we think is uh, something you ought to check out. Uh, kind of either it could be a new release that's available online, or it could be a, a revisited film that uh, we just caught back up with recently. But either way, it's a film we're ready to recommend to you as something to check out. So Chris, we do have a lot to cover. As always, let's go ahead and jump right into our first review, which is the film... Everything, everywhere, all at once. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look. Chris, in Everything Everywhere All at Once, we have the story of an aging Chinese immigrant who gets swept up in a, let's just say, insane adventure. 
uh, where she is charged with saving the world by exploring other universes, connecting with the lives that she could have led. Kind of a multiverse situation for those people very versed in the superhero world. We have this now applied to this film. It does star Michelle Yeoh, as I mentioned earlier, and Kayon Kwan, who you may remember from Short Round in the Indiana Jones films, and also on The Goonies, which I think is kind of neat, seeing him back uh, in the film as well. With also some supporting roles, by interesting supporting roles by Jamie Lee Curtis, Jenny Slate, and James Hong. Uh, The film is written and directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who are known as The Daniels. Now, Chris, you sang the praises of a film called Swiss Army Man. Not about a farting corpse that a saves a guy's corpse. life. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yes. That was a Daniel Radcliffe film that um, Another the, Daniels, Daniel. uh, the Daniels did. And you were a big fan of that. Yes. I will admit, I never caught up with that film. Oh. So I have not been able to verify. That, that's it. I'm, with, out. I'm walking out of the podcast room. <laughs> well, th- this is all leading me to what I'm going to call um, the Chris Fry High Expectations Challenge. Um, Chris Fry... The, you, Chris. Yes, yes, me. Uh, you you will sometimes champion a film pre pre release mm-hmm. that you are very excited about. As you mentioned, this film was one of your top anticipated films of the year. Uh, I knew as soon as we started to hear that this film was released here in the theater in our area that we would get to see. I know the anticipation had built. It is he reached peak peak fry anticipation. Now, Chris, I will remind you. We've had many, many instances over our, our, our show history where you have gone in with the, the fry uh, high-level anticipation and only to find yourself dashed by the film itself when you actually get to see it. We've commented on that. Oh, yeah. We've documented it. There's audio recordings of this happening. It's why I try to sometimes avoid movie trailers unless I see them in the theater because that way it can help me not get excited. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. So my question to you is, does everything everywhere all at once as excited as it as you were for this film, does it meet the Chris Fry high expectation challenge level or did it fall short in your mind? And, and why Chris? So it, it did, it, it met the challenge. Um, oh, okay. I will not say this is a perfect film, but what makes it not perfect in a way makes it that much better. Okay. And what I mean by that yes. is this film completely lives up to its title everything, <laughs> everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Um, I think one of the Daniels, I can't, do not remember which one, but he has kind of, and whether he was joking or whether he was being serious, has kind of made a comment on Twitter about like how this film kind of is a result of some of his ADHD. Okay. And I found that very interesting. Now, was he joking or was I, I don't know, but I can be like, yeah, I can see how there's just so much in here and you're just constantly battling between what exactly is going on. Um, there are subtitles in this film at some points that yep. you know you're trying to keep, and it's they're not slowly put up on the screen. It's like they go pretty fast. And sometimes I was like, whoa. And, and it's, it's also haphazard in that you know, which is I think very a little bit more natural. They're weaving in between, slipping in Chinese and out of English and, English. and English. Absolutely. So it's like at one moment you're like, oh, they're speaking English. I need to like shift my brain to listen to that. But now they've gone back to Chinese. Back to the subtitles. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's just like, it, it, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am so happy that this film managed to get made and that it's getting kind of a positive response. Not everybody. Some people are like, dude, I wanted something somewhere, one thing at a time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, and that is your more typical films are a little bit more focused, <laughs> a lot more focused. 
Um, but I enjoyed something just so out there. Now, you reference past times when I've kind of shot myself in the proverbial movie going <laughs> foot. Um, recent example being Annette. Yeah. I was so excited about that sure. film. And then I saw it, and I didn't think it was terrible, but it just did not live up to my expectations, and it dashed them. Although there's still, I still admire many things about that film. With this, it managed to, it managed to meet my expectations. Yeah, there were some things, basically because it there was so much. I've only seen this film once. Mm -hmm. I want to see it again, which is always a good sign, as opposed to that was like, oh, you know, it was okay, but not great. So a good sign to me is I walk out of a movie and I immediately want to watch it again. Yes. I am. I do want to see this film again because some of the things specifically probably in the first third before I kind of figured out what kind of film this really was going to be. Um, I, I was kind of like, well, what, what's going on? What are, what are they trying to do here? And then it becomes clear, which some people have complained. Um, you gave a short synopsis of what this film is about. Mm -hmm. After you see the film, you could say, well, this is much more a, um, I, I don't even want to ruin it, yeah, don't, um, don't, but yeah. you could say this is a kind of a typical, this kind of story about a relationship going on mm -hmm. and you could boil it down to that and say, and basically they just threw all this other kind of, you know, candy up on the screen to distract you. And that's all I want. And I, I hear that complaint, but there, to me, there was so much empathy and mm -hmm. heart Mm -hmm. behind what they were trying to do that it worked. And I'm not, I'm not, I am not saying this is a perfect film, but to me that in a way kind of made it that much more endearing. So I have babbled a lot. <laughs> no, it's all, it's all um, good. So right. what I, I want to hear, I want to hear your, uh, your take on it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, okay. I, I really, really appreciate this film. It was a lot. And that's my one kind of drawback to it. it. And it's not a fault of the film. It's a fault of me and my, my ability to absorb things in a, in a film. That's just so packed with things <laughs> that yeah. I did find myself overwhelmed. And I found myself kind of finding just things drifting as I went along. I do want to see it again, but because I just thought it was incredibly inventive and creative and funny. Oh my gosh. Some, some really, really hilarious moments. But also, as you're alluding to, and again, not to spoil kind of where the film goes, but at the end of the film, you realize it's one of those things where when you get to the end of the film, um, you realize what the film is ultimately trying to do. Right. And it puts the whole rest of the film in kind of a different perspective for you. And that worked for me. I did not expect to be as moved. Oh, my gosh. As I was in the last... <laughs> And did you feel film. like you kind of felt it coming? Because once you yeah. kind of realize where it's going, you're like, okay. Yeah, but still. I kind of went. But then it just still like huge gut punch. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. It was. And I mean, and I think it's a credit to the film in that it, it it boils the film down to its simplest. For a film that's so complex and, yeah. and chock full of things, to still in that last 10 minutes boil it down to a very, very simple thing. Yeah. And it be impactful and still work. Um, it was great. And, you know, even, even again, I'll, I will do this without spoiling, but even getting to like the code of the film, kind of the epilogue where, you know, you've had this oh. kind of big conclusion and then there's just a nice, 
nice kind of where we are now and where all the characters are. And without, normally I hate those. Without like, spoiling anything, yeah. just to, yeah. I'm sure I'm clear what you're talking about. The film kind of, in a way, divides itself between an everything sequence and yeah. everywhere sequence. And then kind of, I think the one you're talking about is the all at once yeah, sequence. Yeah, it's basically yeah. like okay. the little kind of, it is you've a had coda. your climax. Right, right, and now right. it's like, okay, this is where we are now. And normally I hate those in films because it's like, <laughs> oh, let's just tidy up all the little bows and show everybody where they are in their life. But here I'm like, no, I wanted to see this. And right. it was great. It right. was just, yes, this is like what I wanted to see. This is what you wanted out for this this group of characters by sure. the end of the film. So to be as impactful as it was at the end, um, I'll admit about you know halfway through the film, I'm just like, okay, so this film is just going to be over-the-top uh, <laughs> scenes and moments and just absurdist humor and absurdist sci-fi work and some really interesting uh, fight sequences. Okay, cool. I'm with it. I'm good for that. Right. Did not expect it to go where it did at the end, and I was very happy when it did because it made the entire film a much more complete experience, I think. So, yes. <laughs> I, I, we can talk more specifics, but okay. yeah, I, that's that's where I fell on this as well. Well, good. I'm, I'm always... I always like to hear people really getting uh, enjoyment out of films. So it's good. If, you know, it's fine if people don't, because then that's an interesting dialogue you can have. But I, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you enjoyed the film. I did. I, there were moments I'm questioning early on, like whether I was going to enjoy it or not. Gotcha. Because I, I had, a, it took, it takes a while to figure out what kind of film it is. Yeah. Um, but once I think I got it figured out and what definitely by the time we got to the end, yeah, I'm sold. So uh, um, let's, let's talk some specifics about the film. Sure. Um, yeah, Michelle Yeoh. Oh, wow. Uh, basically, I mean, this is her film. I mean, she's yeah. in just about every moment of the film. And, and uh, you know, obviously she's she gets to have some fun with this role in that she is playing a, a character, Evelyn Wang. But because, as I did mention in the setup, I mean, there are multiple universes involved. She gets to really play some really interesting, fun parts along the way. Um, both... both uh, Physical role and and, and, and dialogue and acting role. I mean, I thought she was great. So your thoughts on her? Okay. I realized this movie came out late March. Here we are. We're recording this on April 14th. Um, It's only been widely released for about a week or so. I know. It's early. Mm. Everybody's fed up of talking about the Oscars. Don't really want to hear anything until November or December of next year. But I have to say... I am going to be hard. And normally we, we sometimes talk about how you know, strong female lead performances. Sometimes we feel like, you know, females don't often get a lot of those in film or they don't, you know, really dominant strong. And like you're saying, this is Michelle Yeoh's film. So excited because I think it's a really good role for her. I really hope, and who knows what the rest of the year will bring us. I really hope she's one of the five nominees for best actress. I, and I know it's early. But I just really, mm-hmm. it's kind of like her body of work and how good the film was and such a, you know, and it's a lot of the film is on her shoulders because she has to kind of communicate all these different things, different emotions. different. Yeah. And yeah, I just can't say enough about how much I liked her central performance. Yeah. And I'll say too, I didn't realize because in my eyes, he's been off my radar. You talk about, um, what, what's his, what's the key young Kwan. There we go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he like I liked him sure in Goonies, Indiana Jones, and you know I've I've forgotten about him. I you know I have he's not been on my radar. Don't know anything about him. Didn't know he was in this film because I don't recognize I recognize yeah. him as like the eight year old kid running yeah, around in the Dodgers cap or whatever. Um. So, but the moment 
I heard his voice. I was mm. like, wait a second. <laughs> it was like me pointing at the screen, you know, with the meme that's uh, DiCaprio from yeah. uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was me. And like, I think actually that might have been some somehow how like the first third, let's say, kind of got derailed for me because I was so distracted by the fact that this guy was in this movie and he was great. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, you know, it was, it was kind of crazy. So I thought he also did a really good job because he is tasked as well with being in some different multiverse situations where he has to completely flip mm-hmm. on what he's doing. And man, does he, does he deliver? So it also, it's one of those things. It was kind of, I will say kind of like, although I knew going into Pulp Fiction, John Travolta was in it, but it was kind of those things where like the Daniels have rebirthed this guy's career, or at least to my knowledge, like mm-hmm. brought him back, like cultural consciousness, American, American right, the American perspective. True, though. true. We don't, I'm not familiar with that, what no, else he's been doing. But, neither uh, am I, but I'm, I was just so, so happy that he like, you know, mm-hmm. is in this film and was as good as he was. Um, so yeah, I just, so great. You talk about the other supporting performances in the film. <laughs> um, Jenny Slate, um, was not aware that she was going to be in this maybe because a 24, the production company is also doing a movie for her, the Marcel, the shell with shoes on, which that could be a trailer topic. we could do it some other time. Um, so I don't know if because she's in their studio that they, they also said, Hey, come be a bit part in this movie. But I, I liked what she did <laughs> in the film. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Um, Ooh. she seems like she was, I hope who knows, but <laughs> that she was having, a lot of fun. She really got to play against type yes. for sure. And, uh, but was still like really good. She plays oh, yeah. kind of a, a tax good. advisor person and yeah, just, just great. Just, just great. Yeah. No, all the performances are great. I want to call out to Stephanie who, uh, Stephanie Sue as the joy, their daughter okay. and, um, who has an interesting part to play throughout the film. We'll just leave it at that. And, uh, I thought she's a good, she's a role that when it starts out and you meet her, it's a very, I think it's a very kind of by the numbers kind of role, sure. but then you realize it's actually going to play a much more impactful role in the story. So that was great. So uh, acting top to bottom was, was, was good. Um, I, again, talking about the just creativity and inventiveness of the film that we saw, I, uh, there are some moments in this film I'm still going to be thinking about just from a, how absurd and funny right. uh, standpoint just so many creative touches to the film. Uh, I'll call it just one situation. I think is still hilarious. This idea that to, for them to be able to jump to another place, <laughs> they have to perform some task that is so random. The idea is that you're kind of doing something that's so out of, out of like so random in time that it kind of allows you to have a break point to jump to another another universe or another time period. Yes. And uh, just some of the instructions <laughs> that they're receiving to on what to do to actually right. enact this change. Is, again, such a creative concept, such a creative idea. When it first starts happening, it has to do with like paper cuts. I'm just like, what is going on? And then, <laughs> then you realize you're like, oh, okay. I, I got you. I got it. I see what's right. happening now. And um, I mean, there's just one shot where I think there's like five or six people who are all trying to transport at the same time. And they're all doing each unique, such bizarre things because you realize that's what they're doing to jump. That's the kind of inventiveness about this film that just works for me. I just, uh, how creative it is and just those really, really random ideas. So, um, 
It works. Oh, yeah. Again, as it's being thrown at you and bombarded during the film, it can be overwhelming. But again, as you kind of go backwards and look over what you just saw, it all works. It's just, you know, you kind of have to just be ready to, to enjoy the ride. So. Agreed. I mean, I, I'm, without spoilers, um, you know, something again to like you walk out of the movie, you say you immediately want to see it again. So on letterbox, that means it has to be at least four stars for me. <laughs> so and that's mm-hmm. what this will probably end up being. Cause I liked it that much. So I, I do want to see it again to try to try to slow some of it down in my mind to appreciate it more and see how high I do, how high I'm actually am on the film. But when I can recall specific scenes and it's more than like one or two, cause that means it just barely saved the film. But there were so many scenes in here that were standouts for me. And without spoilers, I'm just going to kind of give a quick list. Um, a take on Ratatouille. Oh, yeah. Hot Dog Fingers. Yes. Uh, fanny Pack Battle. <laughs> and Rocks with Googly Eyes. Yes. Um, I will not continue because then I'll be like channeling Chris Farley and saying, do you remember that moment when? Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. But, um, yeah, there's just so much here that I appreciated. Um, I, I will say, I mean, if I've got to give a, a criticism to the film. Okay. And, and there's not many to give, but... A, you know, yes, it's not even a criticism of the film. It's just there's a lot going on. It's a lot to process. It can be a little overwhelming to watch this film. I do feel like, uh, I feel like the film started to spin a little bit in place. Mm. Probably, you know, at the two-thirds mark or so. Okay. Let's just say there's a conversation about Bagel. There are sequences with that, which great, invent- so, so creative. I loved everything about it. But I just felt like we kind of just went rinsed and repeated Got you. Two or three cycles. And I just felt like, okay, I'm, I'm the film kind of needs to kind of get, get moving on. It, it, and that, that added, unfortunately to this overwhelmingness where it's just, you're just kind of being layered upon layered upon layered of an idea. And I didn't think it had to be as complexly drawn or overstated and, and discussed as many times as it need to be to still get the same impact at the end of the film. I, so you know. I hear your complaint and I'm sitting here kind of, you can't see this, but I'm not, or people listening can obviously, but I'm, I'm kind of nodding my head. Yeah. I, just a bit. I mean, I'd say there's yeah. probably about 10 minutes where it's just like, okay, got it. You know, let, let, I see where you're going. I get the point. I understand it. It just is kind of repeated, repeated, repeated. And, um, uh, Otherwise, I, I, I don't really have any fault with the film. I, I, I really I, I really just feel like it maybe just went a little long and got a little overwrought with itself uh, before it got to its climax. But again, that climax, the ending was just so well done and so good that I kind of have forgiven it by that point. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I think okay. I think you and I are, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what a second viewing does. But I think you and I are on the same page because I was kind of the same, same way, I think, and somewhere in between the, you know, the second third of the movie and the final third, I was kind of like, yeah, I like this, but you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you are kind of spinning your cinematic wheels a little bit, a little but, bit. and that's why I think the gut punch that was delivered surprised me as much because I'm like, yeah, I see where you're going. You're really pointing this out. You're maybe beating us over the head a little bit, but you know, whatever. But then the fact that it was so still impactful kind of really knocked me back because I, I saw it coming. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I want to give it another view, but, uh, I can see that criticism. Yeah. That's my one, that's my one hold back from it. Just to say that I think it's a, a, you know, again, not a perfect film, but I think, uh, I, I'm always going to give a film credit when it throws new ideas on the table. 
and presents them in new ways. And this film absolutely did that. So I'm, I'm on board with that. Just has enough unique, interesting elements to make this a, a, a must see in my book. So sure. Um, Great. Anything else you want to call out? I mean, I, I'm no, and it, I guess because this is a smaller film. I mean, it was put out by a 24, but that doesn't mean anything because they're getting more and more name recognition um, as a production company, a distribution company. But um, this is in theaters. I don't know how long it's going to be there. If you like independent film, I mean, yes, yeah, still this is you know kind of a bigger budget, I guess, but support this film, go out and see it in the theaters if you feel safe doing so, because I think kind of the spectacle up on the big screen mm-hmm. is, uh, is nice to see. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that would be just kind of my end note. If this sounds like it's in your wheelhouse, try to see it in the theater if you can to support more, you know, kind of original non tentpole movies. So. Um, can I just throw out one quick thing just because, you know, I'm, I'm an Indiana Jones fan. I'm a Goonies fan. So of course, you know, having, having a key on Kwan in the film, was really kind of nice. And the filmmakers knew that because they did throw in a couple of moments that were very much a callback to short round. Okay. There's one moment in particular, and I got verification on this. I wanted to make sure I wasn't oh. imagining it, <laughs> where uh, he yells at Evelyn to snap out of it, oh. which is he absolutely wow. does uh, with Indiana totally. Jones and Temple of Doom. Yeah, and even the fact that he uses a, a he has kind of a fanny pack and is it's kind of like pack. a whip. Kind of, well, there's that, but it's also gadget or a data oh, yeah. from the Goonies. From the Goonies, true. Had true. his whole deal as well. Anyway, wow. I think I think they were very aware of what they were doing. And reading on on this while you were closing up there, this was his first major role in 20 years. Wow. So it's it's been and that's a while. just to me that's awesome. You talk yeah. about Hollywood love of movies. There you go, right there. You yeah. know, like. Come on, Academy. Remember him. <laughs> Remember him and Michelle Yeoh. Come it would be uh, nice. Oscar time. It would be nice. All right. Well, that is everything, everywhere, all at once. Both Chris and I are very, very positive on the film. Definitely think it's worth checking out. And, uh, uh, but unique, a lot to absorb. Just be prepared going into it. Uh, you're going to get a lot thrown at you in a two hour running time, but uh, quite a rewarding experience at the end of the day. All right, Chris, let's flip over and talk about our other film. A Netflix exclusive directed by Richard Linklater. It is Apollo 10 and a half. Where's our kid? Mission? For what? We accidentally built the lunar module. A little too small. How'd that happen? Listen, are you good at math? Yeah. Do you get a perfect 100 on every test? No. Okay. We need a kid like you to test this accidentally smaller version on the lunar surface and soon. Stan, you're our only hope. Richard Linklater, over his 30-plus year career, has never shied away from doing something different. From Slacker to Dazed and Confused to the Before Trilogy, which was Sunrise, Sunset, Midnight, and the Decades Project in the Making, Boyhood, um, he's, he's always, you know, tried to do little things different. With this film, Link later returns to an animation technique he's used before in his films A Scanner Darkly and A Waking Life. Um, with Apollo 10 Half, A Space Age Childhood, it is a narrative film. Um, you learn about a 10-year-old who didn't actually, uh, or he supposedly is tapped to uh, do the Apollo moon landing as a test. <laughs> which I don't think actually happened, right? Unless that's something else Stanley Kubrick orchestrated, but I think I don't think that really happened. Um, so you could say Apollo 10 and a half can also be said to be a documentary of sorts in that it takes place in Texas, summer of 1969, and winkingly kind of mirrors a lot of Linklater's own childhood. So you have this pseudo-narrative, pseudo-documentary, you know, 
has rotoscoped animation, which is that technique. Alan, um, did this hybrid of a film work for you or did it leave you wishing he'd settled for something a little more simplistic? Um, I, I don't think it's simple. I, I, this film, this film worked for me. Okay. I, I, I appreciated it. I, I do think, uh, I think it's important to understand that it is, uh, narratively, it, 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 it has two different purposes and angles it's going for. And I think it's, I think it's really good in one aspect and maybe not as successful in the other. Um, we do have the, the retelling of Linklater's basically his childhood in sure. 19, you know, growing up in the early, in the late sixties, early seventies. Right. And I think all of the, it's basically you're watching an extended uh, version of the wonder years, but all in montage form. It is all just, okay, well, here's the TV shows we were watching at the time. Here's the kind of food we ate. Here's the kind of pranks we played as kids. On, on, and it's all stuff. I mean, I, I'm eight to 10 years behind Linklater as far as like time-wise on this. You know, I grew up in the, in the mid-70s. So, but I saw enough there to be like, oh, yeah, totally remember that. Oh, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that worked for me as well. Right. And the fact that it was all rotoscoped animation, I, it just made it really fun to watch Mm -hmm. and interesting to watch. So I liked all of that. It is a little, it is a little jarring as a film to like start in the first five minutes and set up this whole premise of what this film is going to be. This whole Apollo 10 and a half, the idea that a young boy was being drafted to pilot the space mission because they made the module too small for an adult. So they got (laughs) to use a kid and just this kind of funny premise. Sure. But then it just says, all right, just hold on to that. And we're going to now spend almost the next hour just telling you about life uh, growing up in this time period. Right. Yeah. We'll come back to the space thing later. Don't worry about that. That's fine. And you know, really it, it was, it was more, of a, 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 it seemed like it was just more of a justification for Linklater to do an autobiographical depiction of his life. Right. And once I absorbed that and understand that that's what the film was really meant to do and looking at doing, I, I enjoyed it. Okay. There's nothing profound here. There's nothing like, you know, uh, uniquely creative here other than the rotoscoping animation still is always interesting and fun to watch. Um, it's an autobiographical movie about Richard Linklater as a kid and <laughs> it had enough fun and interesting humor. And, and, and uh, I, there were some really, really great moments in, in that kind of documentary retelling of his life. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. Okay. I, it's a, it's a fine film. I mean, it's nothing that I'm going to go out and sing his praises, recommend everybody to go see it's a good passable way of 90 minutes of time to, to watch something kind of interesting. And visually it's just really always kind of cool to look at. So uh, it's not the the strongest positive review for me, but it's, it's worth watching, I guess. So Chris, <laughs> help, help me out here. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I don't feel like I'm putting a whole lot of emotion in this either. way. Well, so. I, I think, you know, you and I both struggle whenever we want to, we want to feel strongly about a film either way because, um, cause that makes the reviews more interesting and you're giving me the, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think I like this film, uh, more than you did. Okay. Um, but I will say you, uh, warning people who hear about this film, it's on Netflix. If you have Netflix, it's technically free for you to watch, um, other than your time spent, which it, you know, does come in at a pretty trim, uh, like a little over 90 minutes. Yeah, over so, 90 you know, minutes. it's, it's pretty, goes down pretty easy. Um, I will say kind of as a caveat, yeah, if you're wanting something that sounds more like what you see in the first, what, three or four minutes where it's like this kid who is going on this secret mission to test out the Apollo and all that, 
you're not going to really get that. No. So um, if that's what you're wanting, or if you think your children might enjoy it because it's more of like this fantasy of a kid actually being the first oh, yeah. person to land on the moon, then yeah, it's not going to be that. So don't, so don't get yourself excited about that because that's not really what the film's interested in. I actually think that's a little bit of a shame of marketing of this film because I mean, yeah. again, when I saw the marketing for it, it seemed like it's pitching it as a kind of a, Hey, it's good for family. It's, you know, we're going to show about a kid who gets drafted in the space program and, you know, it's kind of fun, fantastical story and all that. And yeah, I think getting into this is like, okay, yeah, that's not that's what not you're going to get. No. And it's not really even geared towards kids. It's geared towards us and right. a little older Sure, from the nostalgia standpoint. That's Absolutely. really what this get, film is for. And I think, and I, I kind of knew a little bit of that going in because I've heard, I'd heard some early reviews because this premiered at South by Southwest, which in Texas, perfect place for it to premiere. Um, so I'd heard a little bit of that blowback. Some people who really loved it. And then some people were like, you know, minor link later, you know, there's nothing. Why does he bother even putting the space program stuff in there? Um, and I still, I, I liked it. I can see that critique, but there was the nostalgia of his childhood, which like you're saying is a little removed from mine, but close enough that I was still nostalgic about things. Um, it still worked for me. I can see the critique as well that this is nothing more than a rotoscope animated wonder years episode yeah. that's extended. Um, but I liked wonder years when, when it mean, was yeah, on TV. I don't see that as a complaint. Um, I see that as a, right. I just, you know. like, cool. Right. Um, I think if this film had come out in 2020 on Netflix, when we were all stuck at home, I think people would just be going bananas about this because it was kind of like, you know, looking back and, you know, it was kind of comfort food. I can see it being mm-hmm. kind of cinematic comfort food. Um, so I, I, I liked it for that reason. So. I'll, I'll tell you though, I think it's, it's just, it's going to be tough. It's a tough to get an audience for this film. Link later, it was born in 60. So he is, uh, 11 years, 11, 12 years older than me. Okay. Um, which it tracks about right. Because I mean, even the TV shows he's commenting on watching and all that. I remember seeing mostly his reruns, sure. you know, but I still remember watching all of it right. and seeing them. Right. Um, I, I just, it worked for me barely because I had enough connections to a lot of the things I'm seeing. And I felt a lot of the nostalgia that he was kind of sharing young, much younger than me. I'm saying like, you know, they're like 10 years younger than us. I, I don't know if there's a lot to grab a hold of. It's going to be just kind of tough. Like you're watching a documentary about a time period and there's no real point to it. I mean, it's not like there's, it's trying to share anything profound with you. It's just, no, here's what our life was like. I think it's going to be interesting. To, I mean, I can't imagine a lot of people much younger than us getting a lot of enjoyment out of it or entertainment out of I it. I can so, see that. You know, and then, of course, there's us and people in the generation above us. I think absolutely there's a lot they could glean from it. So just kind of it's an interesting choice of a film. Interesting sure. choice of a film to make that has, I think, a very limited audience for better or for worse. Well, you know? and what I admire, I mean, I, I liked it and I admire several things. But one of the things that I like about it is that instead of just doing – a straightforward documentary. Yeah. I think we've seen enough about that, that that wouldn't be interesting. Um, or rather than just doing kind of a vanity piece about your childhood and using real life actors, you know, but not making it rotoscope animated, that wouldn't have been interesting to mm-hmm. me. So I think he threw in enough things that can, because it has granted, I do think it is short change, but the, the kid fantasy element of the moon landing, like throwing that in as kind of a, a random thing I thought was interesting making it rotoscope animated. I thought was interesting. Um, so that, that kept me engaged. Um, but overall, yeah, it is kind of, it's a lighter film of his, but I really appreciate, appreciate, um, 
him just doing what he wants. And I think in this, he made enough, he tweaked the biopic, I guess you could say, or he tweaked mm. what he was doing enough that it, it kept me engaged. I'll say too, um, something that helped me and really pulled me along was the casting of this. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Jack Black's narration voiceover, I thought was just perfect. He's worked with Black before in School of Rock and Bernie. And, you know, some people, you know, they find Jack Black kind of irritating because <laughs> he can he can be over the top sometimes. Um, but in narration in general, especially if it's overused, can irk me. But that was not the case mm. with Jack Black. It totally worked for me. And I thought a lot of the other voice slash rotoscoping casting was perfect too. Bill Wise is his dad. Well, Bill Wise is the dad was my favorite. I thought okay. he was so good. Okay. And even Lee Eddy as the mom. Right, the yeah. two of them just nailed it. I mean, they they their parts were so entertaining and so yeah. good. Right. It's authentic. Um I'm going to take a little uh, Jack Black's narration. Um, didn't work for you. It huh? didn't work for me as much, only because it just seemed like Jack Black was reading a lot of things when he had to like specifically mention certain shows or titles or names or programs. It's just, it, it was that same Jack Black inflection on a, hmm. on certain words. And I, I didn't never really bought that he was really into it as much. That's just the tone I got from it. Okay. So I did not think his narration worked as well. Huh. I was not a biggest fan of it, but all the other voice work was great. Everything, all the family members were just so good, so natural, so authentic. But I will call it Bill Wise as the dad. I thought he, okay. was, he was my favorite. I thought he was just such a good character. So I'll, I'll say just, you know, kind of wrapping up some of my feelings about it, kind of, as I mentioned in the previous review, um, a lot of times if I can walk away with scenes, more than just one scene or something that worked for me, then that lets me know, yes, I did like this movie. Mm -hmm. um, the laundry listing of old TV shows, mm -hmm. yeah, I did like how that was done. Um, you you mentioned a lot, it's a lot of stuff you've already mentioned. The imaginative use by his mom of leftovers, <laughs> that right, sequence, yeah. Yeah. so identify with that. Yes. Um, so I, I really like that. Um, and then this is done in two different ways. Um the gap, which there again, I think, yeah, if you hate nostalgia, some people call it nostalgia porn, don't watch this film because oh, yeah. that's, that's what this is. Yeah, you know, if, all you, it is. if you don't like nostalgia stuff used to evoke it, don't watch this because that's, that's what it is. It, it worked for me in this instance though. Um, used in two different instances and I can relate to it cause I used to do it too. Uh, gathering of the family around the TV. Mm -hmm. They do it twice in this, you know, they make a point of showing the movie wizard of Oz and then they do it again for the moon landing mm -hmm. um, and just showing like families gathering. And, you know, he's got a lot of siblings and the varying interest levels between the different siblings and their interactions with the parents. Some of the things that he's got an older sister that is very much, you know, a feminist kind of thinking for it. And, and like her kind of conversations back and forth with both the mother and the father, like, just good stuff. And mm -hmm. I, I really like those were moments that, and there are others, but those are moments that really stood out to me that I liked. So. Yeah. No, it had a lot of great moments. Again, there's no real, just understand no real story yeah. from the broader sense. There right. is a setup of a story and then there's a conclusion of that story, but everything in between is just nostalgia. Filler. Nostalgia. Yeah. And as long as you enjoy that, you get a lot of enjoyment out of the film. If, if that's not, up your alley, uh, it's, it's a tough watch because it really is out of an hour and a half. It is an hour to an hour 15 of nostalgia filler, pretty much. Um, but I will say done in the rotoscope animation made it to me enjoyable to watch. 
just because it was just a unique way of seeing this. Um, and there were enough moments along the way that were genuinely very, very good, either very humorous or very poignant or whatever it may be. And, and also all very real. That's the thing too. Everything True. except for the whole premise, the bookend premise of the kid being drafted by the space program, everything else. Yes. Uh, it's real. You feel it, you see it. Um, and if you lived at all during that time period, I think it, it means that much more to you as well. So, True. yeah, I, I, I will say it's, it's a, it's a fine film it is definitely not, it, it's not any kind of profound link later work. It is, uh, I will say, yeah, sure. It's minor work of his, but it's good minor work. You know, it's, it's, it's good and enjoyable. The last couple of films he's done, um, where'd you go Bernadette? And that was the one with, um, oh, who was the actress in it? Um, big actress, uh, yeah, and her name is Kate Blanchett. Yes, thank you. Uh, didn't like, do anything. I don't right. think anybody really got a lot out of that film. He did that film, Last Flag Flying, mm-hmm. which again, not didn't really get a lot of attention. Um, so you know, it, it, I kind of like him doing something a little more inventive and creative, and, and something a little more, a little more personal, which mm-hmm. it seems like uh, this film obviously was. So uh, that is Apollo Ten and a Half. It is on Netflix, so it's something you can go check out right now and see if you have a Netflix subscription. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you see it and have any uh, agreements, disagreements with the things we said, feel free to let us know. We'll give you some information at the end of the show how you can reach out to us. All right, Chris, so that's our two reviews. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to do our news section, which will include a trailer tapas. It'll include a this movie sounds bad (laughs) idea. Uh, And also talk a little can film festival. And then we'll have our recommendations for the episode as well. Films. We think you ought to check out. So stay tuned. You're listening to foot candle films right here on the mesh TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation to learn more visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Chris and I finished up with our reviews of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, both very positive on that film, as well as the reviews of Apollo 10 and a half. Also positive, a little more to the lukewarm side for me, but um, still worth watching both films we think have some value and are were maybe worth your time. But let's move into talking future projects. So we've talked about two films that are already out in theaters. Now we're going to shift and talk about some things happening in, in due time in the film community. Most notably right now, and just in the last couple of days, we got this information. Uh, we're talking about the Cannes Film Festival. You know, Chris, normally the Cannes Film Festival is like, you know, you get some of your not necessarily the bigger films, but the ones that might be our precursors to where we're going to be talking big recognition, award recognition for films later in the year. Right. Typically, Cannes is where those start to get premiered. It has not traditionally been known as a place where big blockbusters are going to premiere. Although that may change a little bit. It has changed. <laughs> I think last year they... I forgot what film it was last was year. Was it that Fast and Furious 9? It might have been at yeah. the Cannes Film Festival, which is kind of crazy. Which is nuts. This year, maybe not, didn't go quite that far with it, but there is a big lineup of films they've announced for the Cannes Film Festival. Some big, big, big tentpole movies and some uh, just by some interesting directors that we'd love to see the next film from. So 
Let me kind of hit some highlights, and Chris, I want to get your thoughts, and, I, and, and you chime in with anything you've heard of that I don't address here. Okay. Um, I know that two of the, quote, big films that will be premiering at the Cannes Film Festival are going to be uh, the film Elvis, which we have talked about, and we actually played the trailer for, I think, an episode or two ago from Boz Lerman. Mm-hmm. You and I both very excited about yes. that film. Yes. That trailer has completely sold me. Um <laughs> I'm looking forward to that film. So it will be playing at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, And then we also have a certain little small film that I don't know if anybody's heard of. I I don't know if I'm excited about it or not called (laughs) Top Gun Maverick. And of course, I'm being sarcastic. I'm extremely (sighs) excited about this film. Uh, But Top Gun is going to be playing the Cannes Film Festival. So Chris, come on. That's got to add some legitimacy to this film now. Are you not excited to see this film now? No. Oh, man. No. I, 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 I look forward to our review of it because um, you, you talk about expectations. And I think I'm assuming you're really looking forward to it. You seem to be excited about it. Um, I could not be less excited <laughs> about seeing. If you told me... Trolls World Tour Part Two was coming out. I would be equally as excited to see that as I am Top Gun oh, Maverick. Wow! So I, yeah, I, but I, I will see it because I mean, I we we're critics. We review things on the show, and I'm I'm just really curious if it will entertain me at all. Okay. Well, we will we will find out uh, come Memorial Day because that's when we the general public get to enjoy this film. Gotcha. Can film festival. You're not going to can. I'm not going to can, okay. uh, but can will be from May 17th through 28th. So uh, they said the uh, top gun Mavericks is going to be the second day of the festival. So that would be, I guess the 18th, a good week before it's uh premiere in theaters across the country. Gotcha. So those are kind of the two bigger films, but there's a lot of other films by some really uh, great directors that we're going to be looking forward to. So uh, we have new films from George Miller, the film is 3,000 Years of Longing. Help me remember. Do you know George Miller, about this that's film? A Mad Max Fury that's Road. Mad guy. Max, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Did all the Mad Max films. So the, but this isn't the Furiosa film that no. he's doing. No, this is something 3,000 Years of Longing. I know okay. nothing about the film. Okay, Are interested. You, yeah. I, I know nothing about it, but I am interested to see him do something, especially if it's not the Furiosa follow up that he is doing. Um, um, I think the Furioso follow-up is just called Furioso. Okay. Uh, 3,000 Years of Longing is, I'm pulling it up right now, I will tell you, it is an upcoming epic fantasy romance film written and directed by George Miller, and it appears to star Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I am very curious. He's a visual stylist that I, you know, his films are interesting. Because Mad Max Fury Road, yeah, I liked it. But I haven't revisited, not that it was a bad film, just not, you know, but he makes films that are big blockbuster type things that are interesting to watch on the big screen. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm curious. Yeah, so 3,000 Years of Longing by George Miller. That sounds interesting. Uh, David Cronenberg has a new movie uh, coming out called Crimes of the Future that's going to be shown at the Cannes Film Festival as well. You know anything about this one? I, I do. Uh, that's actually going to be the subject of our trailer topless. Oh, we'll get to that in a little bit then. We'll do the trailer for that Crimes of the Future from Cronenberg. Kelly Reichardt's got a film called Showing Up. It's going to be playing there. Okay. And James Gray, a film called Armageddon Time. Whoa. Um, that sounds heavy. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, okay, I'm reading this. This is newsflash for me, so I'm just okay. going to bear with me. I'm reading as we go. It says, uh, uh, Michael Hanavis, H- 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 Havanicus's final cut, 
which had originally been selected for Sundance, but was pulled after that festival went virtual, huh. uh, is now going to be playing here. Okay. Um, so interesting. Yes. So we got some good, uh, some good, interesting films that are going to be coming to the Cannes Film Festival. Now, obviously, there'll be films that we'll have a chance to check out. Hopefully, in the months following sure. afterwards. But um, anything else I'm missing there, Chris? On on, on uh, Cannes? Well, I'll say two other things. Both, I think, I guess, if you're reading an official list, there, both of them are rumored. One has already been shot down. Um, the other one, I think, could still happen. So first, I'll talk about the one that got shot down. Um, people were saying there was going to be a new David Lynch film that was going to premiere at Cannes. And supposedly it was one that he had done kind of on the sly that nobody knew about. It was starring Laura Dern. And uh, he then came on record, I guess, and was like, uh, no, I don't know what people are talking about. I'm not premiering anything at Cannes. <laughs> so that that got people really excited. But then he, he shot that down. Now, could he just be playing everybody along, <laughs> pulling a No Way Home, Andrew Garfield? I don't know. But I don't think so. Um, so that was too bad. But one that Another rumor that has happened that supposedly might happen um, is Wes Anderson premiering Asteroid City. Um, you know, he just came out with French Dispatch, and but he that one had been shelved for a while because of COVID. So it's like he'd already started working on another project. So some people are saying Asteroid City may premiere at uh, Cannes, which would be kind of cool to see. So. Would be would be interesting. I mean, it is a, a long festival. I mean, it, it goes about eleven days. There's a lot of time, a lot of films that can be shown there. They've been known to sometimes pop in a surprise, and just you you find something that you didn't expect. So we'll definitely see. Oh, one uh, film I did want to mention that I thought was an interesting one it is an out of competition documentary film. So it's not going to be in the official competition of the Cannes Film Festival, but it is Ethan Cohn uh, doing a documentary. Oh, cool! So Ethan Cohn, one of the two Cohn brothers. We got to see, uh, you know, we got to see uh, his brother Joel Cohn's version of the tragedy of Macbeth, Macbeth on Apple TV just earlier this year. Well, late last year, or early this year, right? But this is the other brother, Ethan Cohn, doing his own project, and it's a documentary about Jerry Lee Lewis, the uh, kind of controversial musician. Awesome. It's called Jerry Lee Lewis: Trouble in Mind, and that is going to be uh, playing at the festival as well. Oh, that that's that's exciting. We had Joel's first kind of single outing as a director when he did Macbeth and now we have Ethan. So it's like, Hey, splitting up the Coen brothers means we get twice as many films from them. <laughs> cool. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in his first foray into documentary that that's, that is interesting. Mm. Um, can't wait to see that. All right. So that is the Cannes film festival coming up here in May and we're going to be excited to kind of see where it goes. And of course it's all just the build up to the world premiere of Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> we will absolutely be reviewing on this show, Chris. Right. Yeah. And Go all their marketing material for all the millions of trailers I'll see before now. And then I want them to see like official selection of con. Like yeah. I want that no, to be in their marketing material. I want the little leaves on it and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Chris. So we already kind of mentioned what our trailer for trailer tapas section was going to be. And the trailer is, it sounds like the new Cronenberg film, right? Yeah. Uh, it's called crimes of the future. I'll just set up before we watch it here. All right. And you listen to it. Um, the kind of tagline little description here is as the human species adapts to a synthetic environment, the body undergoes new transformations and mutations with his partner Caprice played by Leah Seydoux. Saul Tenser, who's played by Viggo Mortensen is a celebrity performance artist. He publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in avant-garde performances Timlin, played by Kristen Stewart, is an investigator from the National Organ Registry, obsessively tracks their movements, which is when a mysterious group is revealed 
their mission to use Saul's notoriety to shed light on the next phase of human evolution. If ever there was something that sounded like a David Cronenberg movie, yeah. this sounds like it. So let's uh, let's uh, watch the teaser trailer. All right, here's the teaser trailer for this. We'll be back in just a moment. It is time to stop seeing. It is time to stop speaking. It is time to listen. Okay, well, there we go. Uh, that was a uh, not not the most uh, audibly uh, interesting uh, trailer, so I'm sure people just listening on the audio course are uh, not getting a lot out of it, but I'll just suffice it to say. Uh, Cronenberg known for uh, a lot of films in his past with a lot of body horror and uh, <laughs> seems to be definitely at play again here. Uh, yeah. I can already tell some very <laughs> uncomfortable scenes. I'm already squirming uh, just watching the trailer. Yeah. So, um, but it does look to be kind of a, I don't know. I mean, what was the tone of the film? What could you pick up from that? Is it a little bit of a thriller, a little I, bit I, of a I mystery? Think it's, it's, well, yeah, thriller, mystery, and like just horror. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it just looks like a lot of really weird stuff going. And you know, the description I kind of gave it beforehand. Like, yeah, this is going to be David Cronenberg. You know, he's done things like uh, Naked Lunch, mm. um, The Fly. Um, mm. So he he does some really bizarre. He did History of Violence, which was with Viggo Mortensen. So they're mm-hmm. working together again. But um, yeah, it's just. I think this is going to be a weird movie, probably a little tough to watch mm. at times, but um, I'm interested I'm because of Viggo Mortensen, Leo Sedu, and Kristen Stewart. I like all three of them, so he's got some really big names. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious about it. It does look like it may be a bit of a tough watch, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I can see that. So. All right, well, I, 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 I will see it, but I'm already <laughs> – not looking forward to it. So sure. I think it's going to be a, a tough, interesting watch. Okay, Chris. So you, we kind of teased earlier on that you've got a news item to share that you think is a bad idea for a movie. Yes. So I'd like to hear what this bad idea for a movie you've heard announced is. So, and you know, we've had things like trolls made into a movie, the little, you know, things with had the little toys that were been oh, yeah. around forever. Mm-hmm. And that was made into a movie. And you're like, okay, um, something, a ride at Disney world now too, both jungle cruise pirates, of the Caribbean rides have been made into movies with various degrees of success. Mm-hmm. Obviously pirates of the Caribbean had a whole franchise. So Alan, you're an investor. <laughs> okay. Does this sound like something that you would invest money in? All right. Proceed. Okay, um, the spirit of Halloween store chain is getting its own horror movie. How, how does how does that strike you? Now, I will say um, the spirit of Halloween. Just for those, I, I don't know if, if that's a national chain. I, th- or I just, think it is. Okay, so so it's those Halloween stores that just kind of like pop up. Yes, you know, like the the couple months leading up to Halloween. Yes, take over an abandoned store, kind of move all the Halloween junk in there, and then just overloaded with. Uh, Costumes and yard decorations and everything Halloween related, and then they're and they skip out of town. They're gone. Okay, yes. so you're saying that's going to be a its own horror movie. It is. It is centered around the spirit of. It's called the movie is called Spirit Halloween. That's that's the name of the movie. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is um, 
attached to the film. Okay. He of Back to the Future franchise. Right. You know, so Christopher Lloyd's supposed to be in it. Um, it is directed, it's the feature directorial debut of mm. filmmaker David Pogue. Um, so production has already wrapped and David, it's scheduled for a P-O-A-G. I'm not sure exactly how you, I was just POAG, but David. P-O-A-G. A-G, yeah. Um, and production has already wrapped and it's scheduled for an October 2022 release, which that actually does make sense to release a Halloween film called Spirit of Halloween or Spirit Halloween at Halloween. But outside of that, I don't know. It just seems like <laughs> that's a really yeah. weak premise for a, a, uh, a movie. Right. Um, well, I, I'm confused. Okay. Uh, hmm. Cause I'm looking up. I see a David Pogue. I see P O A G. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, got, I got, and I see a storyline. I see it on IMDb listed. Okay. I see a poster for it. Oh, okay. I have not seen a poster for it, but the poster actually has that. It was playing at the Nashville film festival in 2018. What? It was a selection for the Atlanta Film Festival screenplay competition in 2018 as well. But it has now as a release date of October 2022. Huh. Yeah, the poster does not give me a lot of confidence. So, Well, let me, let me see. You want to see the poster? Oh, wow. That is the poster for the film. Huh. So it was a script competition winner, apparently. Yeah. Or so, huh. Interesting. Yeah, so it sounds like it's been produced for a while. Just so now is this, they're just is this a straight to Netflix? Is this this year's uh, Hubie Halloween, except it doesn't could star be. Adam Sandler? It could be. Also stars uh, Rachel Lee Cook. Okay. Actress. Hmm. Um, that's all I recognize out of the... Uh, gotcha. Marla Gibbs. Marla Gibbs is in it. You, you remember Marla Gibbs? I remember the name. Marla Gibbs was... Uh, she was in the Jeffersons. Okay, yes. She was Florence in the Jeffersons, 227, some of those uh, sitcoms. Got you. So yeah, that's uh, that's the cast we've got. Yeah. It's a film that sounds like it's been done for a couple a few years, like it was playing in film festivals in 2018. Comes out this October. Um, yeah. Well, I've actually got a description for it. It's like when a Halloween store opens a deserted strip mall, a deserted strip mall, three friends thinking they're outgrown trick-or-treating decide to spend the night locked inside. Oh, their wow. night of spook-filled fun soon soon turns into outlandish survival. Yeah, yeah it, you know sounds like, it sounds like a straight-to-Netflix or straight-to-Amazon type thing. Maybe it'll be fine. Kid entertainment. Uh, it depends on how, how much fun they have with, with the actual scaring. And if you're playing a little tongue-in-cheek with the idea of it being a spirit of Halloween store or not. Eh, could be. Could so be have something. Christopher Lloyd be like the creepy manager of the store right. or something? Yeah, I can see that, totally. Got you. All right. Well, look, we will we will see. Yeah, it does sound like a horrible idea for a movie. But if it's all kid-oriented, maybe yeah. that would be the thing. You know, I, it's I mean, a kid-friendly you know, Halloween There's movie. so many movies, Chris, that... The, they sound like horrible ideas. And then you actually see the film. It's like, wow, they pulled it off. It was great. Right. Um, so could we have a little uh, one that has a kind of a cult following? It's kind of a good kids uh, horror movie. Uh, or, or is this going to be one that nobody sees and nobody pays attention to? <laughs> we will find out. Sure. No offense to you, Mr. David Pogue. Um, we sure you did your best work on the film. So we will wait to see how it turned out. Okay. Cool. So that's our news. Cannes Film Festival talked about the new Cronenberg film and the Spirit of Halloween store getting its own movie. That's uh, <laughs> never heard of a store getting a movie. Uh, as far as I'm aware, that is a first, I think. Stores or restaurants. I don't think those have ever generated a movie. 
Yeah. But we have gotten to movies from, like you said, rides. And toys. And, and toys. And comic board, books, board games, course, board comic games. books, all that. Yeah, Battleship and Clue. Yeah, and, but yeah. not from a, a store. Okay, right. We'll see how that turns out. All right, last part of the uh, st- of the episode here. Chris and I both give a recommendation. This can be a film that it has to be available online. And it's either a new film that we got a chance to watch and we want to recommend. Or it could be one from the past that we just had... Uh, recently called back up with and want to kind of rekindle a recommendation for that. So, um, Chris, you want to go first and tell sure. us what your recommendation is this week? Sure. So I'm going to recommend a film by uh, Kirsten Johnston. Johnson. Um, she made, um, she does documentaries. She made Dick Johnson um, is uh, dead, Dick which Johnson's came out dead. a mm-hmm. couple years back. Um, she made this film in 2016 and she has been a, camera person which is the name of this documentary for quite some time um but in 2016 she took a bunch of footage that she'd shot over years for different directors and different things and kind of stitched it all together and basically this is stuff that you haven't seen on screen kind of some of the behind the scene moments of when she was setting up a camera or the interview formal had stopped and she made some comments to the person you know you just some really interesting tidbits and she stitched it together and I was surprised. You know, I always, I liked Dick Johnson is Dead. I liked it. Um, and I, I like documentaries. And this one had that kind of unique take on it. and something that's like years and years of footage that she kind of stitches together and makes a documentary. And it really worked. And I was kind of surprised at how profound some of the moments were of this mm. kind of like found footage. So it's available on, online. HBO Max is the person streaming it. And then I think you can also probably rent it at places like uh, iTunes or things like that. But uh Camera Person by Kirsten Johnson, and it came out in 2016. So. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talking about this film, and I've been kind of curious to go back and check it out. So, now was that her first documentary? I think it was. Okay. I think you know, like I said, she's been a camera person, but this I think was her first official like uh, film that she put out under her own name. Actually, yeah, maybe some other shorts. Apparently, okay. I'm pulling yeah, things shorts, up, but, but yeah, but this was her first official like full-length film. Okay, great. So, so Camera Person by uh, Kristen Johnston. Yes. Okay. That is Chris's recommendation. My recommendation, Chris, I realize that, I mean, it's timely because I'll go ahead and tell you, it's our, it's our foot candle screening going on right now. It is available online for purchase. It'll be available for rent on April 19th, which I think will be about the time this episode is coming out anyway. Um, and we did not review it on the film, on the show before. So it was one of those that just kind of, we both had, a, we both saw this early on, but we did not give a review of the film. I don't believe. Did we review Cyrano? I don't, th- somehow it slipped by. I don't think we did. I think one of the reasons we didn't was because when you and I'd seen it for end of year Oscar consideration, no one else could really see right. it. And so, so we, nobody we just passed it by. Yeah. Yeah. But it kind of slipped by. It, it, it did not get any real recognition at awards, big award seasons. But I'm here to sing its praises. Uh, I've seen it now three times. Now, um, since it this is a musical, will you actually sing its praises, Alan? Oh, I'm not going to sing uh, <sighs> its praises. I'm going to talk Man. through how I sing its praises. Sorry, audience. I you tried. Know, His name know. is Alan Jackson. I thought maybe he would going to sing, sing it. it. Dang. No, it is the film Cyrano, okay. directed by Joe Wright. Uh, Joe Wright of Sense and Sensibility, Atonement. And he also did The Darkest Hour with uh, uh, Gary, Oldman? Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill a few years ago. This is his musical romance drama uh, telling of the Cyrano de Bergerac story, uh, but starring uh, Peter Dinklage in the role of Cyrano. And then you also have, oh gosh, uh, Haley 
Haley Bennett, Bennett as Roxanne. You also have Kelvin Harrison Jr. as Christian, who you might remember from Loose, the film that we reviewed several years ago and both really liked. Um, so Cyrano, I, I just think is great. I mean, it, it's a true period drama with music interwoven, but what sets it apart a little bit is to me, a Peter Dinklage in the lead role, I think is so good as Cyrano. And I just really love everything he's doing with that role. Um, the music is actually written and uh, written and composed by members of the band, the national, which I'm a fan of that band to begin with. They wrote all the songs and did all the scoring for, for this movie. And it really works because the songs are, the songs have a little more contemporary feel to them but yet they still are very much rooted in the time period we're looking at. And they, they just work for me very well. Um, ben Mendelsohn's there is also as kind of the Duke as the guys, the quote villain of the film. Um, it just visually it's, it's fun to watch. It's, it's, I think well acted, well performed. Um, it's got some really nice musical moments in it and, and performance m- numbers. Uh, I just, I really liked it. I really enjoyed this. There's one standout scene for me in particular that I just, uh, it's a whole wartime scene kind of prepping for war and people writing letters back to their, back to their loved ones. There's a whole song and sequence put together from that that I still think is one of my favorite scenes from the last couple of years of film. And um, so I'm here to sing Cyrano's praises. I think uh, Jay Wright knocked out a pretty good film here and I'm very happy with it. Uh, we, we just, we're showing it right now. We're showing it again tonight for our grant. I say tonight, by the time you <laughs> listen to this, it will not be tonight, but it is right now our April film screening for our film society. So Chris, do you have some thoughts on the film? I know you, you yeah, I, I am. I second the the recommendation. It, it's great. Um, my only disappointment is that you didn't indeed sing your praises <laughs> oh, of no. the film, but out, outside of that, no, it's just great. And I, I was, disappointed as you kind of alluded to that it didn't get any more Oscar love. Cause you know, the costumes are amazing. The, the music in it is amazing. Peter Dinklage, like having him have a lead role, you know, is, is awesome. And he just, he, he does it, you know, he just has no problem. And it was just a really nice to see. So, um, and we reviewed Haley Bennett. She was in a film, from a, from a couple of years ago, swallowed mm-hmm. that was really cool and good and kind of a, and so to see her do something like this, which is completely different because yeah. in that film, that was more of like a thriller versus, I don't know how you would classify swallow, definitely a drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to see her do this, which is much more kind of in some ways lighthearted, although it does have, you know, other themes in it, but a musical thing, just totally cool to see her switch gears yeah, like that. So. And of course the Cyrano de Bergerac story in case I, I realize I didn't really give a synopsis of the film, but it is the idea of you have uh, you know, a wordsmith, a writer, Cyrano de Bergerac. This is back in the 1600s, I believe. And uh, he obviously Peter Dinklage, smaller stature person. Uh, that's the whole premise of the film where normally in the original Cyrano de Bergerac, it was, Cyrano did not feel like anybody could love him because he had a really large elongated nose. And that was kind of a seen as a way that he could never have the beautiful maiden Roxanne here. Peter Dinklage plays a role, which makes perfect sense as someone of his, his, you know, in that uh, kind of smaller stature of his body. And um, it works for the film. I mean, that's the premise is that he can't see how she would ever love him because of the way he looks. And, um, it just works as a, as a great, he has to coach a young Christian who Roxanne believes is someone she's in love with. He has to coach young Christian to be more 
uh, a better wordsmith and by writing letters on behalf of him. So again, if you're not familiar with the story, this is a really interesting retelling of it based on a more contemporary play version of this, of the film of the story. And uh, I'm a big fan. So again, I, I, I Cyrano, it is available for rent by the time you're listening to this on all the digital platforms. So yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up for today, Chris. So our re- review recommendations were just of camera person documentary and the film Cyrano. We talked about our news items with Ken's with Cronenberg with spirit of Halloween. I'm surprised <laughs> that even made it into the mix here. And then of course we had our reviews at the top of the show, everything everywhere all at once. Go see it. Positive reviews. Apollo 10 and a half. Eh, sure. Check it out. Why not? <laughs> if you got an hour and a half to kill and you know anything about growing up in the late sixties or seventies, you'll probably get some things out of it. So, um, all right, Chris, if anybody has any thoughts, feedback or, uh, questions on anything we talked about, how can they get a hold of us? You can send us an email at info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Al and I also are on Letterboxd. You can kind of track what we're seeing, and sometimes we leave little reviews on there. Do us a favor. Uh, give us a star rating, write a review, share us with your friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast. Uh, it'll help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. Um, last but not least, the Foot Candle Film Festival is still open for submissions. The deadline is um, a, the original deadline is May 1st, and then you, there's a late deadline of June 1st. But if you submit before then, you can save a little money. For those of you listening who are not filmmakers and just lovers of film, the dates are September 21st through the 25th. So uh, go ahead and get that on your calendar and try to come join us if you can. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to a great year. It is our eighth year, right? Yes. Okay, eighth year of our festival. So very exciting there to have that coming up this this September. Uh, There'll definitely be a lot more information coming along in the coming months as we talk about that. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And we will look forward to talking to you next time when we have some more movies to review and news to talk about. Until then, take care. Thanks. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. 
Check us out online at TheMesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.